Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth unknown, although his height be taken. William Shakespeare Welcome to the Modern Contemplative Podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori. It's early morning, and as usual, I'm out in nature. I hope you can enjoy the sounds with me, even if you can't enjoy the sights. Um, this morning, I am visiting a topic that's just been on my heart lately. I'm not following any of my blog posts or themes there, so this is just a extra, and hopefully extra special. <laughs> um, so yesterday I was just listening to the news about a recent Supreme Court decision. Uh, I think it was several different cases that they were weighing in on, on civil liberty and in, in religion and um, homosexuality, uh, right, um, individual rights concerning religious freedom and the persecution of homosexuality. And so basically they were trying to weigh these two different groups and the rights of these two different groups, which, as we know, for some reason are opposed. Um, or rather, I should say, Christians tend to oppose the rights of homosexuals. Let me, let me be clear. Homosexuals are not opposing the rights of Christians, they are simply asking for the same rights as everybody else, and they have not been given the same rights. And oddly enough, Christians believe they are right in denying certain rights to homosexuals. So the Supreme Court, you know, while there has been many advancements in the rights of homosexuals, um, DOMA was one of them during the Obama administration. Or I believe the, sorry, the reversal of DOMA, uh, the Defense of Marriage Act, which uh, Bill Clinton enacted in the 90s and, and Obama reversed, so, which allowed for gay marriage. In case you've been under a rock and didn't know. Um, so Obama reversed that and said, no, it's not right. Uh, which is interesting that in the 90s, it was actually, it only became law in the 90s. Uh, that, that marriage was defended from <clears throat> the traditional, or <laughs> marriage was defended from the non-traditional, only in the 90s, you know, and then it, here it was reversed, I don't know how many years later, because I don't know what it went in the 90s, it was, that was passed, but it was a new law, that's what I'm saying, it was, but it was a, an, actually an, enacting and solidifying an older practice of denying that right of marriage to homosexuals. Interestingly enough, before homosexuals, it was interracial marriage that was also persecuted. So it's like, and it can be a never-ending cycle of who has the right for anything, you know? When we're, when we're in the mode of oppressing people's rights because they don't share our values, then when one particular group tends to... Uh, no longer be the scapegoat in that battle, we tend to pick another one. That's because we're, our focus is 
on denying the rights of people who share the same value, who don't share the same values as us. And so we're always going to find somebody to scapegoat because that's it's a necessary part of our paradigm. And that's what I want to talk to a talk uh, or speak to this morning is why do we have a paradigm in which we need to deny the rights of people who don't share our values? Like I'm talking about just basic rights like human rights, the right to just be human and have the same access to the same things as everybody else. What, you know, where, where did we get this idea? How did we come to this as a society whose very constitution says liberty and justice for all, liberty is freedom, justice is a just and right society for everyone, like that's our founding principle, one of our founding principles. One nation, under God, with liberty and justice for all. And yet, we seem to be a nation that is about denying liberty for those who don't believe or follow the majority. And that's, now I never saw that in our Constitution, that it said liberty and justice for the majority. If you can control the government because you're the majority, then you can deny liberty and justice for some. That that's what basically we sh you know we should have written the constitution as liberty and justice for some, not for all. But that's not what it said, and that's not what the founding fathers intended. They intended liberty and justice for all. And of course, we know from the from the founding, America has not done that. But at least we can say that was our guiding principle, and that's I would say I hope that's what we're still working towards. And so. Once again, we have um, conflicting. We have two groups with conflicting values, who um, are in conflict with each other. I would say that the conflict stems from the one group, the Christian group, trying to put forth the idea that homosexuals don't have certain rights because they, Christians, have certain beliefs. We're talking about civil rights, meaning the rights of citizens in a society. We're not talking about religious rights. But what the Supreme Court is trying to hash out is that how do you balance religious freedom and civil right, civil rights, or human rights? Like how do you balance both of these? How do you still how do you still say Christians have the right to believe that something is immoral and to practice that belief, but they don't have the right to constrain or take away the rights of any other person? And so where this has played out, this this conflict or this um, dissidence, this difference between values is in private schools. Basically, one of the cases that came before the Supreme Court was, I believe, a athletic coach who was a homosexual. I, I think it was a woman, but I, I don't really know a lot of the details of the case, so I could be wrong. But I believe it was a woman, a, um, a lesbian woman who was a coach at a Christian private school, and she was fired for being gay because she was not in line with the teachings and the values of that Christian school. And so 
the Supreme Court had to rule. Was that right? Is it right to take someone's livelihood away because they don't share the same values as the majority of the group, the private school, the group that they're working for? Okay, so there you go. That's That was the setting. The Supreme Court needed to rule. Was it right that she lost her job? And so basically, uh, I, I believe there was another case before the Supreme Court, maybe, that they were weighing on kind of had the similar tones. But basically, they, they tried to establish that, hey, you know, you can't fire people because you don't agree with their values. I mean, geez, can you imagine the road we would go down if that really became a, a common practice? We'd have to fire everybody eventually because we're all, we all have different values. Like, even set two Christians down, I mean... Uh, if anybody, if there's infighting in any group over the right values, it's Christians with Christians. Like we can't get anything. For it. We can't come together on hardly anything. Uh, the last 500 years has been an experiment in dividing over truth. And there's the first Baptist, there's the second Baptist, there's the third, fourth, and probably the 1500th Baptist because they've divided so much. The church is, has has gone far down the road of this experiment of, of dividing over truth. And all, all we know how to do, it seems, is divide over truth. How, I want to say, like, maybe we should learn how to come together over truth. Over different truths. Not divide over differing truths. Like, who doesn't know how to divide over truth? over differing truth and differing values. I thought maybe Jesus came to teach us something different. Like, maybe we should learn how to come together despite our differing truths, and that would be something different than what we see at large in the world. But it seems Christians have actually been the worst at figuring out how to come together despite different beliefs and different differing truth or differences over truth. And that's where we're at. And now, of course, in a democracy where personal liberty is a factor, we have this case. And so a lesbian athletic coach gets fired from a Christian private school, and the Supreme Court says, well, that's not right, but we also have to uphold religious freedom. And so how do you balance those two legally? That's what the Supreme Court was weighing on. And they really came down on the side of um, the lesbian athletic coach. At the same time, they did say that... Here was the caveat to religious freedom, basically. They did say that a Christian school can require that those teaching their Christian values actually live those values, okay? You could call this the essential staff, the essential religious teachers. Okay, so at case closed, right? Only those at a Christian private school who are actually teaching Christianity need to actually live out those values. Seems simple. So the athletic coach can be gay and still be at the private Christian school, right? Well, 
this was one of the conclusions of the reporter just saying that, you know, what we don't know basically is that what we can't say is how this ruling will be played out in that arena, which means that Christian schools could basically just say, well, everybody on staff is actually modeling our values or should be modeling our values. So we're not hiring anybody that doesn't model our values, a.k.a. no homosexuals. Because everybody's got to, everybody's really a, a quote teacher of our values. Whether you're an athletic coach or a cook in the in the kitchen or the janitor mopping the floor, right? <laughs> Any employee. So it was like, well, we made this uh, advancement, but it could be basically reinterpreted back at the same place. And um, when I was listening to that story, this is the thought that I had. You know, it was like, yes, a private Christian school could just basically bend that ruling to their favor and say, everybody has to have our values. Or they can just drop the sword, put down the gun, lay the club on the table, and stop beating people over the head with your freaking values. Like, I don't understand where Christ taught us to do this. And it kind of makes me sad, and it kind of pisses the hell out of me. It pisses me off. Like, I don't understand. Why don't we just put down the freaking gun and stop shooting people left and right for not holding our values? I'm... I just... I, I, look, I'm a Christian... I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm an ex-evangelical. And so I, you know, I have held views at times which were oppressive to other people and especially to homosexuals. I would say that. I will say that. And so I don't want to get preachy and on a high horse and say, you darn Christians out there who are not like, who are not a Christian like me, um shouldn't you know should do this and shouldn't do that i'm not trying to get preachy here but i'm just saying like can we not extend the same love towards people that we want towards ourselves and that's not a christian issue it's a human issue <sighs> isn't that what we want and i hear christians now rattling their swords and complaining about being oppressed because their beliefs and values aren't being given space or their beliefs and values are being oppressed, which I understand that perspective. You're not allowed to practice your beliefs as you think, but hello. And then I, you're turning around right in the same breath and then saying, but you can't have that value and be in my church. You can't hold that, that practice that lifestyle and be in my church or teach at my private public school or be in my denomination or be ordained in my denomination. And like, it just doesn't make any sense. We don't want people to oppress us for what we believe, and yet we are so ready to oppress others for what they don't believe or how they don't believe what we believe. I mean, I, I not only from a human civil rights standpoint, but even from a Christian standpoint, that doesn't make any sense to me when I look at Jesus and the life of Jesus. This has been 
just something stirring in my heart. And I woke up this morning very tired, not necessarily wanting to get out of bed and come out here and talk about this, but this I woke up and this is the word that immediately came to my mind, equanimity. I could be mispronouncing it. I, I want to say, is it equanimity? I think it's equanimity. But it comes from the Greek, two Greek words, it mean, and those two Greek words, equa and nimity, I guess, mean equal mind. But the word really means is fairness or a um, kindness towards others, uh, granting others the opportunity to have the same rights as we do. Fair-mindedness. Equal-mindedness. Like a mind that has an attitude of equalness towards every person, that gives every person the same space it desires for itself. Equanimity. I feel like that is the heart of this issue. Sometimes I want to just, like, okay, I just want to take some time to point out who Jesus was, especially to you Christians, but for everybody. Did you know that Jesus was called a friend of sinners? And he was criticized by the religious elite and the self-righteous of his day for hanging out with sinners and drunks? They called him a drunk. He was a partier. That's what they said. You're a drunk. You're a glutton. That's what the, the Pharisees accused him of. You hang out with the riffraff. And you know what Jesus' response was? I've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew um, the last few weeks. I've been, for the last two years, I've been going through the, the Old Testament, and especially the prophets, which are one of my favorites. So now I'm in the New Testament again. It's been a while, is what I'm saying. It's been a while, and a lot, some of my views have changed, and so I'm reading the Gospels again with a kind of a fresh perspective. A lot of things have changed in my view God has changed my heart in a lot of ways, so I'm, I'm kind of excited to read the life of Jesus again through a different lens, just through a changed and a transformed heart. God has done a lot of work in my life, and my heart, especially concerning love for others. And so I've been reading all these stories of Jesus and so many stories of Jesus dealing with these self-righteous, self-important religious elite, elitists, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, these were the... Jewish religious leaders, and Jesus was, like, almost every encounter with them is what Jesus was just shaking his head going, oh my gosh, what is your problem? What are you doing? Why are you, you know, you, why are you about this? And you're, you're actually, God is about this, and you're not about this. And he was just constantly shaking his head. And I, I think for Christians especially, we read these stories, and we're like, yeah, yeah, go Jesus. Awesome. Look at Jesus. Yes. He's promoting Christianity. No. <laughs> He wasn't. He's trying to teach these, he's trying to speak to these self-righteous, religious, elite class of Jew, Jewish leaders and say, you guys are missing it. He was critiquing his own religion and telling the leaders, hey, you're getting it so wrong. And that's really serious because guess what? You're the leaders. You're leading people. You're setting the example. And your example is... Not great. <laughs> Your example is crap. You're setting such a bad example, you're actually closing the doors of heaven in the faces of people. That's how bad your example is. You're not just a little bad. You're not just like wrong on a few things. It's not just, this is not just a matter of fine-tuning some of your um, 
non-essential beliefs. This is actually at the core of the essential message of God. You are shutting people out from knowing God. It's that bad. And there were two, there's two particular phrases that were repeated in the first nine chapters of the Gospel of Matthew that really stood out to me. And these were the phrases. Jesus said this twice. I think if he says something twice, it means it's maybe twice as important and we should give it twice as much attention, right? Jesus said the same exact phrase. And he's actually quoting from the prophets, I believe Isaiah. Hmm. But I'm not certain. But here was the phrase that Jesus said. First, and this is interesting, because first he says this to the Pharisees. He says, learn what this means. He's saying, go think about this. Go on. Try to figure out what this means. Learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I mean, I, for Christians today, when we hear that, um, I don't think we really could hear it with first century ears. And, and Jewish first century ears. I mean, do you realize for thousands of years, the only way that they were right before God was through temp the temple sacrifice of animals and grain, the first fruits. It was a religious system based on sacrifice. Like everything hinged on sacrifice. Everything. They could not be who they are. They could not be who they were in good standing with God without sacrifice. And Jesus comes along and says, that whole system is worthless and meaningless. That's not what I even wanted. I desire mercy, not, not sacrifice. And I believe Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. And it's interesting in the second encounter, I think the first is in, I'm trying to remember, chapter 9 of Matthew. I believe the second is maybe chapter 13. So I was mistaken. I said the first nine chapters, but I think it's the first 13. The second time he encounters these same religious leaders, maybe the very same, I'm not sure, but he says, I wish you, you would have understood what this meant. And then he says the same thing again. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So the first time he's like, learn what this means. And the second time he's saying, didn't you learn? I wish you would have taken some time and thought about what this means. And I believe this, the second time, actually, is when Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field of wheat or some kind of grain on, a, on the Sabbath. I was going to say on a Sunday. <laughs> it wasn't the Sunday. It was Saturday. Um, and the disciples are picking heads of grain because they're hungry. It's morning. They probably That's their breakfast, right? They're picking heads of grain off of these live stalks of grain and they're eating them and the Pharisees come and they're incensed. They come to Jesus and they're like, dude, you need to deal with this huge, huge wrong over here, this sin. Your disciples are eating grain from the stalks of the field on the Sabbath. They're just incensed. You're breaking our Jewish religious laws, which keep us in right standing with God is what they're saying. And Jesus said, D didn't you, don't you know don't you know your own religious documents? Don't you know that King David, when he and his men were hungry, went into the very temple, to the holy place, where only the priest can go, and ate the holy bread, which only the priest can eat? And he was okay. And he's like, don't you know that also the priests themselves break the laws in doing their duties in the temple? And then he says that phrase again. I wish you had learned what this meant. 
I wish you could understand what this meant. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is saying, your whole system of keeping the right rules and doing the right things and sacrificing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is mercy. What matters is compassion. What matters is loving people. That's what matters. You want to model the heart of God? You want to understand what matters to God? Loving people. Not keeping rules. Not even religious rules. And that's what Jesus still says to us today. Mercy, not sacrifice. And what we're doing today, we don't have a sacrificial system where we have to be right before God by sacrificing animals. What we're really doing is sacrificing people to our religious rules for the sake of our religious rules. And that's what Jesus was saying when uh, he was talking to the Pharisees because they were saying, you know, that your disciples are breaking the Sabbath rule. And Jesus said, no. Which do you think is more important, the Sabbath or the Lord of the Sabbath? He's like, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And he actually said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's saying, it's not about the Sabbath rules. It's about people. Darn it. <laughs> it's not about keeping rules. It's about loving people. The people are the point, not the rules. And I would say that to Christians today. The people are the point, not your Christian rules, not your Christian values. It's about people. And when you're putting any person down, and when you're, put, when you're oppressing any person and putting any person down in favor of your rules, you are not in the heart of God, and you're not acting out of the heart of God. God didn't come to teach us to keep some good moral rules in order to be right with God. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We don't have to keep some moral religious system and some right rules in order to be right with God. Not sacrifice, but mercy. Which brings me to the cross, right? The ultimate sacrifice. which most of, most of the Christian religion has taught for most of its history was Jesus paying for our sins. But yet, I want to propose something maybe pretty radical to you. Number one, that's not been the only way to view the cross throughout our history. Number two, I think it is the wrong way to view the cross. Substitutionary atonement theory is what it's called. And it was a theory. It was a way to, to view the cross. This is why I think it's, this is important to this discussion, why it's relevant. Because if we believe that God is about punishing sin and Jesus had to die on a cross to pay for our sins, then what are we going to be about? We're going to be about punishing sin. And that's what exactly what we're doing as Christians in this, 2,000 years later in this um, modern Christian religion, which may not be that Christian after all. That's, that's why we do what we do. We think that we're st it's still about punishing sin. But here we have a very profound statement by Jesus about God, about the character of God. That's what he's talking about. He's saying God desires mercy, not sacrifice. So what does the cross mean if God doesn't desire sacrifice? If sacrifice doesn't even matter, what does the cross even mean? 
It means that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. What it means is God would rather die himself than kill us over our sinfulness. That's what it means. It doesn't mean we should start we should kill everybody because of their sinfulness, because that's because God wants to God also wants to kill everybody because of their sinfulness. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean God had to kill Jesus to pay for our sins. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God did not desire Jesus or require Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. God got up on the cross to show that he would rather die to to get rid of this whole system of sacrifice. That was why Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice because he was like, enough, this is it. And Jesus actually tells that parable. Uh, he talks about a landowner with uh, a vineyard that rents it out to people and he goes to collect the yearly um, rent. He sends his servants and they, the owners just decide they're going to kill every servant that comes for the rent and not pay it and just keep the money for themselves. And and Jesus tells this parable, and he says, finally the landowner says, well, I'll send my son, because maybe they'll respect my son. And they kill the son too. Well, it's, that parable is not about the need to, for Jesus to come and die for our sins. It's about how God keeps trying to teach us how to live, how to desire mercy. And he finally sends his son as the final example, which should end it all, which was meant to end it all. This whole idea of sacrifice. Jesus wasn't the final statement that sin has to require death, but it was the final statement that it doesn't. Jesus nailed, Jesus put the last nail in the coffin of this whole idea that God requires sacrifice in order to love us. But when we get that wrong, we get everything wrong. When we think it is about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, then we think that we have to make it about other people dying for their sins and being punished for their sins. And then we become about punishing people because they're sinful. Which I also, even if you believe that, I think is very ironic because who is not sinful? And uh, and. John's, I think it's first letter, he says, if you think you are without sin, you are deceived. God never desired to make us managers of sin, not even our own, especially not other people's. It wasn't the point. It's not the point of the gospel. I don't know how without equanimity we are going to move forward in our culture and I don't know how we're going to find a different way of being human of allowing people the space to believe different things but what I do know is if our very religion practices the same lack of equanimity I don't know who else is going to set the example of loving people of desiring mercy instead of sacrifice who will set the example if the very people who claim to follow the example of Jesus who went all the way to the cross to prove that he would never oppress anybody but would rather die than oppress other people. If we can't set that example, I don't know who else will. If we're actually the worst, then I don't know what hope we have. We're the most oppressive. 
if we're the least able to give space to other people, to other people's differences and different values, then who is going to set the example? Who is going to step back and say, I'm not going to oppress you. Uh, I was mulling all of this over and I, I posted this on my contemplative on the Modern Contemplative Facebook page, but I, I just, this was just my heart in, in a moment about all of this, and it, I just posted this simple statement. Let me be but one who does not oppress others. Like, that's the goal. At least I can get into a place where I am no longer oppressing others with my values and my beliefs. Like, if I can do that, and if you can do that, and if we all can begin to do that, then oppression... Oppression won't be a thing anymore. That's what Jesus... Jesus didn't come to oppress. He came to lift us out of oppression. He certainly didn't come to make us oppressors of others. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus came to set the example of mercy, of showing mercy. And you know what? In that example, the religious, self-righteous elitists called him a sinner. He was an outcast. He wasn't holy enough. He wasn't religious enough. He wasn't good enough. But you know what Jesus said? The prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom of heaven in front of you. That's what he told the, the religious elitists the leaders of the church of his day, the religion of his day, and its leaders, he said, you guys are so far from it. The people you think are the farthest from it are actually cl the closest in getting in ahead of you. Let me rephrase that in today's world because we, we wouldn't understand what, prost you know, prostitutes, yes, but tax collectors, we, we, don't, we wouldn't really kind of relate to those two as being the worst in society. You know, even I would say even prostitutes for us, we're really not, you know, that's, I mean, we understand that's probably not a good profession, but like, you know, whatever, it's a profession and when, it, if it's legal, perhaps, and protected, maybe it's not that bad, but tax collectors, I mean, yeah, okay, I get it. We all hate tax collectors too, <laughs> but for, in a religious system, I don't think we have or we can relate to why the Jews hated prostitutes and tax collectors so much. But in our culture today, we wouldn't say prostitutes and tax collectors. Those aren't the most hated in our in our religious culture, uh, our Christian religious culture. I would say, I would say it like this, and I think Jesus would say it like this today: the atheist and the homosexual are entering the kingdom of heaven before you. Now that is shocking. Tax collectors and prostitutes, probably not so shocking, but if Jesus came to you, to, the, to a church, to Christians today and said, hey, you've got, you've got it wrong, and guess what? The people you think are the furthest are the closest, which means the homosexuals and atheists are entering the kingdom of heaven before you. That would shock us. And I would say even now, that probably shocks you. And if you're a Christian, you're probably saying, no way, dude. That's totally wrong. No, because I'm following all these rules. I'm doing it right. I've been baptized. I've gone through the rituals. I'm right before God, and they're not right before God. And so I get in, and they don't. 
You know what you're really saying? I've done the sacrifices. I've followed the rules. I've followed the religion. I've kept the law. I've been morally right. I've done the good thing. I've done the right thing. I've done the proper ritual. I get into heaven. And Jesus is saying, that's not how you get into heaven. It's not sacrifice. It's mercy. Showing mercy. Loving people. That's the heart of God. Not keeping rituals. Not going to Sunday every... Not going to church every Sunday. Not giving your 10% tithe every week. Rituals do not get you in. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that you love people well. And what he's saying... What Jesus meant when he said tax collectors, prostitutes, or homosexuals and atheists are getting in in front of you is they understand that they don't measure up in this current Christian system. They don't get into heaven because they're not following the right rules. But he's saying those are the people that are the closest to getting in because they understand that it's not about following the right rules. It's not about being good enough. Stop thinking it's about being good enough and keeping the right rules. And you'll be a lot closer to getting in because then you'll understand that it's not about those things. It's about mercy and love. It's not about keeping right rules. And when you get stuck in keeping the right rules, you're further from the kingdom and you get further and further doing those things. And that's what Jesus was saying. And that's what he's saying to us today. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. How shocking. For Christians today to hear that their very religion has actually put them further away from God than atheists and homosexuals who at least understand that it's not about being good enough and understand that, that in their perspective how they are the furthest from God actually puts them the closest because God is close to the brokenhearted and the humble and the ones who aren't trying to earn it and think they're good enough. My wife and I, um, maybe I'll, I'll close with this. Uh, my wife and I watched a show. We watched the entire uh, show. I think there was only one season. It was called Nate and Jeremiah by Design. Two designers, uh, a couple, two, uh, two gay men, husband and husband, I guess you could say. I don't know how to say that. I was going to say husband and wife, but husband and husband, Nate and Jeremiah, they, they were both... Uh, designers, um, interior designers in their own right, on their own, and then they got married. They have two kids now. But they did this show for um, the DIY network. It's now been picked up by HGTV, but it was called Nate and Jeremiah by Design. And I swear, I think I cried every single show. The, the, the premise of the show was that they would come in to people's homes generally people that were in kind of a home remodeling crisis of some sort. Um, anyway, they would come in and they would help these people. And <clears throat> I never saw such compassion from people who had every opportunity to just execute a business plan and just you know, get the job done, get paid, satisfy the customer, yay, everybody claps, Happy ending, beautiful house. That could have been the premise, but it wasn't the premise. These people, or these people, <laughs> Nate and Jeremiah would come in and cry with these people and have such compassion and show such mercy. And almost always, at the end of it, they generally raised a good amount 
of money through donated goods for these people to give them, to set their house right, to give them, to go above and beyond what people asked of them, to go beyond the budget of, the, of what their clients gave them. And they were calling people and getting donated. A lot of times some of those donations equaled $50,000 or more beyond the budget of these people. And they wanted to bless people so much and they had so much compassion for people. I cried because they cried and everybody cried because they knew how to show mercy. Two gay guys taught me something about mercy. I saw more compassion. And those two people that I think I've ever experienced from a Christian personally, <clears throat> and I, of course, I've not met the majority of Christians, but I'm just telling you, what I see from Christians today is the lack of compassion, the lack of mercy. And for me, Nate and Jeremiah embodied mercy. Who do you think God is more pleased with? What did Jesus say? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It breaks my heart to see anybody treated poorly. It breaks God's heart too. trying to hold it together enough to be able to talk, but uh, how did we get to a place in a religion that claims to follow this person of Christ? How did we get to a place where we're oppressing people with his teachings when he taught about mercy? Uh, how did we get to a place? He came to teach us that mercy is more important than sacrifice. How did we get to a place where we're teaching the opposite? Where we're saying sacrifice is more important than mercy. And we're sacrificing other people on the altar of our religion. <sighs> Jesus came to do away with sacrifice, not to reinforce it and reinstitute it. He came, away, he came to do away with the whole system of trying to be good enough and sacrifice enough and give enough to make God pleased with us. He said, I'm doing away with it. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's a question for you to answer. I can't tell you what to believe. And don't get out your Bible and go to the verses that say homosexuality is a sin. Because you should you should go to the verses that say hate is a sin and love defines the followers of Jesus. That's the verses you should be looking at right now. If you're a Christian and if you're not a Christian, maybe this is some good news for you. It's not about being a good Christian or being a Christian at all. It's about being a person who has the heart of God, and that's a heart of mercy and compassion for others. It's not a heart for sacrifice, for keeping the right rules. It's a heart of mercy 
When you have the heart of God, that's what matters. Not calling yourself a Christian and belonging to the right religion and keeping the right practices and going to church on Sunday. That's not what it is about. God doesn't care what labels you wear. He cares what kind of heart you have. A heart of compassion and love, not a heart of legalism and oppression. How far we have come in our Christian religion to turn it 180 degrees around to be the very thing that Jesus was trying to pull us out of. And maybe you think I'm being too dramatic. And I'm forgetting all the rules of the Bible. <laughs> They're not rules, people. They're supposed to teach us how to live in the heart of God and how to be the heart of God in the world. And it's a sobering re realization to see how far we have come and how far away we've gotten from the heart of God for people. Learn what this means. Understand what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Thanks for listening. It's been emotional for me because I care about people. We should all care about people. Any system that institutionalizes the accepted practices of discrimination is an evil system, by definition. Any system that says it's okay to treat this group of people poorly, to treat them less than human, less than you would treat yourself, it's not a healthy system. Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do unto you. Any system which reverses that even if it's a religious system, even if it's Christianity itself, is not in keeping with Christ and who Christ was and who Christ is. It's not the heart of God. <sighs> Thanks for listening. I think I've given you things to think about. I hope I've challenged you. If you're a Christian, I hope that you consider opening your heart towards compassion and putting down the sacrifice putting down the knife putting down the gun stop sacrificing other people on the altar of your religion and start inviting people into the heart of God a God who loves everyone who desires mercy not sacrifice thanks for listening guys I hope that uh, I hope it's encouraged you. I do hope that. I hope that you feel loved, not condemned. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm trying to say everybody deserves love. Everybody deserves the right to be human. Nobody, nobody deserves to have any of their rights taken away. This has been the Modern Contemplative Podcast. 
I'm your host, Jay Randall Ulrey. You guys can listen to more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. So, um, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I love you guys. I love you all. Bye.